The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The horses are at the gate. And they're off! Welcome to Winning Ponies. With a weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now, here's your host, John Engelhart, racing's regular guy. And thank you once again for joining us here on Winning Ponies, racing's best website. And, uh, you know, uh, there's, uh, of course, I hope everybody had a great Breeders' Cup Friday and Saturday. I hope you killed them and uh, made plenty of money to start saving up for uh, the holidays, your Christmas uh, season, and, of course, Thanksgiving. Uh, so uh, as we head into the holiday season, remember, a lot of tracks are going to be opening. Of course, uh, the traditional uh, fairgrounds uh, will be opening their doors, and uh, they look like they're packed and stacked for a good meet. So some of the tracks will be changing. All you have to do is go to winningponies.com, and we've got a complete lineup for the weeks ahead. We even give you a weather report. And, of course, with all those different tracks coming up, one of the best things you're going to need in your hands are the easy win forms from Winning Ponies. Last week, let's take a couple look at some of our big hits. Aqueduct is open and came out of the gate just uh, the other day. $2 pick six. It was a five of six payoff that paid $3,394. In Chicago, it's Hawthorne now, November 2,866 for a 20-cent Super key. Of course, uh, we're in the midst of that uh, Wild Churchill meet, and uh, we had a $1 super key that paid $2,530. Let's not forget our friends to the south at Gulfstream Park. A $1 super five key returned $2,649. So, uh, again, a lot of venues changing as we head into the holiday season. So, uh, check with winningponies.com. We've got you covered. Well, just uh, recently, uh, sad to say, a gentleman I got to know over the years. Uh, I worked at Keeneland as the assistant photographer eight years. So, of course, I hung around the winner's circle a lot. And track bugler George Bucky Sally has passed on. He was the bugler at Keeneland for more than 50 years until he retired in the fall of 2013. He was then named Bugler Emeritus. <laughs> He was 87 years old when he passed on, so he was in his mid-80s when he was still working at Keeneland. Uh, he's a Lexington native. Uh, he took trumpet lessons when he was a young boy, seven years old, uh, majored in music at the University of Kentucky. Uh, in the area, he became renowned as a musician, played uh, trumpet and tenor sax in the 50s and 60s with some uh, notable bands from around there. Of course, uh, in his uh, job where he filled in and then it became full-time the next 50 plus years he performed his signature boots and saddles for the post parade and a tune they call assembly at post time 
great guy. He was always posing for pictures uh, with the racing fans, had a smile on his face, had some great stories too. And uh, you might want to do yourself a favor if you go to uh, Keeneland.com. Um, they put together just a sensational video on Bucky, and uh, you'll really get a, a look at the guy and his stature and how his fashions have changed over the years, that's for sure. So, uh, uh, Bucky, we're going to miss you. Well, of course, uh, no uh, surprise here as far as who our jockey of the week would be. Mike Smith was unbelievable. Back at Santa Anita, he got Jockey of the Week, the Breeders' Cup. He won his fourth Breeders' Cup Classic aboard Arrowgate, defeating heavy favorite California Chrome by a half length. I'm sure most of you, if you're listening to this, you saw the race. It was phenomenal. I'm going to be talking to our guest coming up here soon about the Breeders' Cup and some of Mike's great rides. Uh, some were wins. Some were close calls. But he was a class act after uh, Songbird just got nipped at the wire. Our guests are going to be the racing editor of the Blood Horse, and it's a new name. It's Alicia Wince-Hughes. You may have known the name from the Lexington Herald-Leader, where she was their turf rider for several years, and now she's switched over to the Blood Horse team, and man, has she had a busy schedule. Not only did she have to get out there and as her role as the president of the National Turf Riders and broadcasters put together that event where they give out an award just prior to the Breeders' Cup every year, then covered the Breeders' Cup. You'd think you'd get a break, but no. The sales have been going through the roof at Fasig, Tipton, and Keeneland, and uh, it's part of her job as the racing editor to work with the Blood Horse team. We get all that information out. Uh, we'll be talking to her about some of these million-dollar babies that went through the ring. And then the man that wrote the book about the Breeders' Cup, quite literally, Breeders' Cup, Thoroughbred Racing's Championship Day, multi-award winner Jay Privman is going to share his insights about this year's Breeders' Cup with us, both Friday and Saturday. And then hopefully I'm going to get him to uh, take a walk down memory lane with us and talk about some of the best ones he's seen. He has not missed a Breeders' Cup yet. And this uh, book was published, I believe, about 16 years ago. So there's a lot of horses that he's seen between the time he wrote this book. But the book's great because it really lays out the whole history of the Breeders' Cup and and, and how it came to fruition. Well, of course... uh, Things are going to be coming to an end with the racing season, so some horses are going to be going to their first breeding season. And it looks like California Chrome is going to stand for 40000 So Duncan Taylor of Taylor Made Farm announced that he called it fair, maybe even a little lower than fair. So that puts him at a level that should get him a competitive book of mares while allowing breeders to make room at a profit. Uh, and seven starts in 2016, even with the defeat in the Classic, he's expected to take home Horse of the Year honors once more. And like Art Sherman said, well, maybe the Classic was just a prep for the rich Pegasus that's going to happen at the end of the year. Again, we'll get more into that with, with Alicia and uh, Jay. But uh, so a pretty good price considering stud fees right now. California Chrome, the richest horse ever in North America, you can get to them for 40000 But I know they've been collecting a lot of good broodmares. In contrast, Tappet, well, he's not raising his fee. He's not lowering his fee. It's still going to be 
$300,000. Of course, his foals are, are doing great at the races and great in the sales ring. Uh, what a commercial stallion is it? he is. And I must say, if you've got a mare and foal to him, you're going to probably get your 300000 back and more, as we've seen in the sales ring. Now, Uncle Mo, he's actually been increased. Uh, he was 75000 last year. Now he's going up to 150000 Now, American Pharaoh, who also stands at Coolmore America, is uh, he was at $200,000, and now they're just listing his fee as private. It would be very interesting to know what goes on behind closed doors. I'm sure he is getting some of the best broodmares in the country. So Uncle Mo up to 150. We don't know what American Pharaoh will be, but we do know he stood for 200000 Of course, no one's even seen one of his foals uh, on the grounds yet. Uh, so we will uh, find out. As they hit the sales ring. Now, Teppen, she is probably not over for the year. Uh, what they're saying now is that uh, she might be going over to take on horses over in J Japan, the Hong Kong Mile at Sha Tin. Uh, it's a, a $2.9 million race. Uh, according to Norman Cassie, they're going to monitor. She ran a big race in the mile, and she'd have to get on the plane relatively quickly. But right now, she doesn't appear to be tired or unhappy. And if it's not time for for a break, uh, they're going to go on to Chatin. Again, uh, $2.9 on the line. So uh, we'd love to see Teppin come back and finish her season with a win, no doubt about it. Of course, uh, th things always happen after the Breeders' Cup. We've had a few things uh, shake out. It looks like Frosted is going to be retired to Darley, where he is going to stand for 50 thousand dollar that's the darley at Johnabel farm in lexington kentucky of course uh, just a refresher on frosted trained by karen mclaughlin uh, his three-year-old season won the wood memorial and the pennsylvania derby ran second that year in the belmont and the grade two jim dandy and remsen holy bull third in the travers uh then he went out and tried to take on the horses at may dan and uh did win in the grade two al maktoum challenge there then, let's not forget, he set a new stakes record, demolished his rivals in the Metropolitan by 14 and a quarter lengths. I'm sure some people will be voting that race of the year. So, uh, Frosted uh, retires with earnings of $3.9 million. All right, uh, the Dirt Mile Hero Tama Cruz is retiring to Shadwell, and he's going to be going for only 12500 He is a, a son of the very uh, well-respected Speedstown out of a Lemon Drop Kid mare. So you got the speed and you got distance. He was a dirt mile hero, again, retiring to Shadwell. Now, I guess we've got the news of who Beholder's big date's going to be, and she is going to visit Uncle Mo, think about it. Uh, Spencer Farms three-time champion and Breeders' Cup winner, a beholder. Uh, she is officially retired and is going to start her broodmare career. I'm guessing this horse, the foal, will probably race for Spendthrift because uh, they, you know, have beholder. They've got, uh, you know, stallions of their own and certainly going to start her off awful good. Of course, uh, she uh, 
made history throughout what is sure to be the Hall of Fame career as the only racehorse to win grade ones during each of her five seasons on the track. Unbelievable. Uh, it's going to be fun to track her a career in the, the broodmare farm. Ironicus, he's retired to Claiborne, uh, grade three winner. Uh, looks like uh, Claiborne's going to take him. He's a son of distorted humor out of the AP Indy Mayor Megan's Joy and is standing for a very reasonable $7,500. He was one of Suge McGahee's favorite, and uh, he does believe that he's got the racing ability, pedigree, and is a great value at $7,500. Uh, speaking of Spendthrift, just found out today that hit it a bomb, uh, a son of Warfront out of a Sadler Wells mare. I think if you want to get a, a nice grass horse, you might want to check out uh, Hit It a Bomb. Of course, Spendthrift has this program, Share the Upside. So the Share the Upside fee for Hit It a Bomb will be 8500 So what it is is it's a two-year commitment. But once you have two live foals from the stallion and all your stud fees are paid up, you end up getting free breeding to him for the rest of his career. It's a, it's a great gamble for sure. So hit it a bomb. We'll be going to a spendthrift farm. Again, um, we're going to uh, have uh, Alicia Wentz Hughes with us here in a minute, and she's going to address uh, some of the unbelievable prices that horses are bringing both at Phasic Tipton and at Keeneland. And again, uh, she didn't get much rest this week, uh, coming straight from the Breeders' Cup and all of a sudden going to have to jump into the sales rings and file reports as the racing editor for the Blood Horse magazine. So uh, I've left a lot of the results of the Breeders' Cup races off this first part of the show because we'll be talking about it with Alicia and Jay Privman. Thanks so much for tuning in. We're going to take a little bit of a break you're listening to winning ponies streaming live the leader in internet talk radio voiceamerica.com What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? 
Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, and with me, someone I've been trying to get onto the show, and I'm lucky enough, I can't believe she's giving me the time because she's got to be totally exhausted, and that's Alicia Wentz-Hughes, now the racing editor for the Blood Horse. A lot of you may know her from her tenure at the Lexington Herald-Leader. Alicia, thanks for joining us tonight. Thank you so much for for having me on. It's nice to finally break my, my, my amazing with you. (laughs) <laughs> That's right. Everybody else in the in the stable at the Blood Horse has been a winner on Winning Pony. So now it now it's your turn. Well, Alicia, I, I kind of want to know more about you personally at the start, just to kind of figure out. You know, everybody's got a story about what attracted them to uh, their career in, in racing, and I'd like to know what your lead in was. Um, basically, I mean, my interest in racing started, I guess, technically, it started when I was five years old. I'm I, I'm originally from Connecticut. So Belmont Park is sort of my de facto home track. And my father was just like a casual fan, casual $2 better, who liked to occasionally go to the racetrack. And my mom and my sister didn't really have any interest. So my father, bless him, started taking his daughter with him. And so I grew up going to Belmont. We'd go to Yonkers Raceway, watch the harness racing there, Meadowlands, Roosevelt Raceway when it still existed. And... Um, I said it just kind of just kind of blossomed from there. I also grew up riding horses. I rode for my team in in college, so um, I really did start off first and foremost as a fan. And when I was in in college, my sophomore year, I took a sports journalism class. And at the time, the the person who taught it happened to be the assistant sports editor for the journal newspaper based in Westchester County. And after class was over, he contacted me and said hey, we've got an opening at our local sports desk. Would you like to come try out and come work for us? And I said, sure. So that's how I got my first uh, job at a newspaper. I started working for the Journal News when I was a sophomore in college, and I was the only one on staff at the time who cared anything about horse racing. So they uh, indulged me and let me do a little bi-weekly horse racing column. I got the help out with uh, Belmont Stakes coverage. I said covering the local harness racing at Yonkers and in the Meadowlands and uh I guess the rest, as they say, is history. I um, I joined um, the Thoroughbred Times in 2003. That's what moved me out here originally to Kentucky. I worked for Thoroughbred Times for about two and a half years before I moved on to the Herald Leader and took over as a full-time turf fighter for the Herald Leader in 2008 after Mary Jean Wall, uh, who was a long, long, long-time turf fighter there um, and pioneer in the sport. It was she took the buyout, and as you mentioned, just recently transitioned over to the blood horse, so I, I have shifted my task. Well, let me tell you, if you uh, took over for Mary Jean, you uh, filled a pretty big pair of boots right there. Of course, uh, you're right in the middle of uh, horse country. It's so nice when I go down there and I pick up a hotel and I can actually see horse racing news uh, in, in the paper. It's hard in other parts of the country. Um, I've got to guess you were one of the last women standing as far as uh, full-time turf riders in the U.S. anymore. 
Yes, I um, sadly, and I mean, and this does break my heart a little bit that now there's no more left. I mean, when when Jenny Reese, you know, again, one of the most amazing, amazing journalists, you know, of any kind, and just a legendary terrifier. When Jenny took the buyout with uh, the Courier Journal last year, I kind of jokingly told her, I said, Jenny, you can't leave me. I said, you can't. I said, I can't be the last dinosaur because you know what happened to the last dinosaur? He died. And <laughs> Jenny and I were Jenny and I were the last two full-time turf fighters at major metropolitan papers in the country. We were the last two. And then she left me as the last one. And uh, I said, and now I guess there's no more unicorns left. <laughs> Well, uh, it, it is sad, but you've ascended in, in sport. Obviously, uh, you're respected by your peers, or you wouldn't be the uh, the president of National Turf Riders and Broadcasters. And uh, I guess one thing I want to ask you, you know, when, when you're writing uh, as an individual for, let's say, the Lexington Herald-Leader, and now you join an organization like the Blood Horse, um, does it feel good to be on a team where you can pick up the phone and call somebody and say, hey, did you hear about this? Or somebody might feed a story or a contact to you? Um, yeah, I mean, I mean it's it, it, it. Sure, it certainly is great to have to, to have a little help and, and and a little backup. And you know, I said, in I mean, it's it's a thing that has you know it has great di- dynamics both ways. I mean, with the Herald Leader, I did kind of steer my own ship a little bit as the only one. So there was a little bit of the freedom of sort of calling my own shots as to you know not totally obviously you have to get things approved to an editor, but you know basically kind of being able to steer you know you know, with the stories that I, I felt, you know, needed to, to, to be written. But, yeah, I mean, absolutely, especially, I mean, this, the past, you know, two weeks has been a perfect example when you're dealing with a monster that is the Breeders' Cup, and that's 13 races and 200-some-odd horses that you're trying to keep tabs on. It's awfully nice to have, to have some backup and some coworkers and, and some team members who can, you know, who can help you out there and be, you know, on the ground with you, helping you, helping you keep, keep tabs on everything. Yeah, and I got to guess uh, with the switch uh, to the Blood Horse too. Uh, whereas in the past you were some somehow uh, Lexington centric, that now you're going you're going to be taking a, a kind of broader view of the sport because you're going to get assignments that are going to take you everywhere. Oh, I hope so. I, mean, I hope it's going to take me everywhere. Um, yeah, I mean, and, and although like I said the thing, you know. Yes, being with the newspaper, you're a little bit more of a general audience, but I always did kind of counter of, I was with the Lexington Herald-Leader. This is the horse capital of the world, and pretty much every major farm in the industry was 20 minutes down the road. So I always tried to be very mindful of that, of, you know, it's a general audience, but not really. Like, this is a very, this is a knowledgeable audience that, this is an industry audience that knows what it's talking about, that knows what it's looking at, and I... I really tried to make it a point, you know, this, you know, for lack of a better word, of not dumbing anything down because I said this is an audience that that, that knows better and they and they they appreciate, you know, the industry standard. And I, I tried to, I always try to toe that that line. So, but yeah, it is nice now. I said, you know, with, with the blood horse, obviously, and I had this experience with overtimes as well. Uh, Thorber times, I really credit with teaching me how to become a turf rider. It's not just covering racing, you know, it's breeding, it's sales, it's business, it's, it's commission meetings. There's so many different aspects of this, of this industry that go into this end product. And, you know, Thoroughbred Times, I said, I give them all the credit in the world. I, they, they, they put a wonderful foundation into me. I could not do my job the way I do it now if it wasn't for my, my time there, learning how to cover sales, 
really learning about, about, about the breeding side of, of the industry and, and pedigrees. I give John Sparkman, who's one of the godfathers of, of pedigrees, all the credit in the world. I had a year basically being trained under him in, in, in how to do sales, and I can't tell you how valuable that was. Well, it's it's great that uh, you know people are able to share their, their knowledge like that. Well, I'm I'm counting down to the bottom of the hour. Well, there, there was a lot of great storylines. What was your biggest takeaway from the Breeders' Cup? Oh, I mean, personally, just from a sentimental side, Beholder was just that that end result of the distaff was whatever fantasy you had. It, it lived up to it, and it was better. And Songbird was just tremendous and as brilliant as, as we thought she was. And how great was it to see Beholder go out on that note? I mean, what a race mare she is. We can debate back and forth about which horse is better on which day. That mare has carved out her own place in history. She, she is going to go down as an all-timer. And those two in the stretch battle, it, it was everything. It was, it, to me, it's, it's up there with, 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 with the 88 distaff with, you know, with, with winning colors and personal ends. And just, I mean, it, that, that, that race was a fantasy. It was the absolute fantasy. And after that night, I said, I said, bless them. I said, whatever happens tomorrow in the classic, boy, it's going to be a hard act to try to top what we just saw. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting chills just listening to you uh, describe it again. Of course, uh, it was that the coin was flipped uh, with the personal ensign race, uh, where Songbird didn't go out uh, undefeated. But boy, was Mike Smith classy in defeat or what? Is, I mean, there are a few people in this entry who are as classy as Mike Smith. I mean, he, he he's a gem. He's an absolute gem to, to deal with. You know, he's aside from just being an amazing big race rider. I mean, they call him Big Money Mike for a reason. What does he have to know? 25 Breeders' Cup wins, and, you know, if it wasn't for an inch the other way with Songbird, it'd be 26. You know, but he just, he's such a, he's such a thoughtful rider. He's such, he's such an intelligent rider. He gives you, and just selfishly from a media standpoint, he's one of just, he's a tremendous interview. He gives you a very insightful, intelligent quote. He's just a joy to, to deal with. And, you know, it's always good when you, it's, it's always fun when we see like the, the really good people in this industry have a lot of success and, you know, they just, they, they don't get much better than, than Mike Smith across the board. Now, really, so yeah, I, I think the way he handled the whole thing, there were no losers in that race. And, of course, he pointed to the fact that Songbird's a three-year-old. Yes, it was a challenge. He wasn't making excuses. But what he was saying is, is boy, she's only going to get bigger and better and faster next year, and I can't wait. That was a Oh, neat we're going to be so spoiled next year still. I mean, as spoiled as, as we were this year with, you know, we had Chrome, we had Songbird, we still had Teppin, we had Flincher, we had, you know, this, you know, this, just wonderful crop of horses still going. Think about who's still coming back next year. You know, I said a bigger and stronger songbird, you know, who I said, who is an inch away from, from pulling the, the, the whole thing off. We're still going to have with Teppin. She's, you know, the plan is to still bring her back. We're still going to have a little bit of chrome at the start of the year with, with, the, with the Pegasus World Cup. And Arrogant is coming back as, as a four-year-old. I'll take 2017 right now. Yeah, I, I love it. I mean, everybody thought there was going to be an American Pharaoh hangover, but there really wasn't because of all the sportsmen that they, they've kept, uh, you know, horses in training, which was just great for the sport. Well, I got about a two minute wrap up. I know you got right off the plane uh, from Santa Anita and had to start heading over to the sales ring. Boy, people are reaching in their jeans and pulling out some green for uh, some of these uh, horses down in Kentucky. 
Yeah, and the, the 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 November sale is always a really fun one to cover because you get you know you you get these these boutique mares and these you get some of these high profile race fillies right off the track. You get some of these great some of these great producers and you know like an like an unrivaled Bell who sold for three point eight million the other night. You know where you know, these these great fillies and it's it's a little bit like going to an all star game. You know, it's 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 different obviously with the yearlings because the yearlings obviously we don't know what they're going to be yet. But seeing these these mares go go through is really something special and it's kind of the same old same old so far I mean people stretch for the quality you know there's a you know there is still some there is this polarization within the market of a lot of people or most people are landing on the same bunch of horses and there's if you have if you if you have the, the you know the qualities that the top players want, they're they're going to stretch for them. Now there is a, now there's a drop off after that. I mean that's the thing. It's a little bit of feast or famine, and we've seen that September actually held its own very well, all things considering. But at the top end of the market is still it is still very very strong for quality. Well, listen, uh, Alicia Wince Hughes. It's been a pleasure. I want to tell people that uh, if they want to uh, get a hold of you on Twitter, it's at capital B H for Blood Horse uh, Bottom Slash or whatever you call that. Uh, capital A, capital H U G H E S. Am I correct? Yep, that 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 is correct. You can follow myself. You can follow the the Blood Horse account. You can follow all of my wonderful coworkers. We got news coming from all avenues. Yes, you do. I have to keep cleaning out my mail because you guys keep filling it up. But that's okay. I enjoy every minute of it. Hey, I really enjoyed having you on. Promise me you'll come back with us on Winning Ponies. Absolutely. Anytime you want to have me. All right. I got your number now. You're in trouble, Alicia. Thanks so much for being with us again. She's also the president of the National Turf Writers and Broadcasters. And we're going to follow that up with another gentleman that was the president of the National Turf Writers and Broadcasters, multiple award-winning writer and television star, Jay Privman. We're going to take a break right now. You're listening to Winning Ponies. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com And they're off! What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with WinningPonies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let WinningPonies.com make some money for you. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com
You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, and with me, a man who's so gracious with his time with us here on Winning Ponies. Uh, he picks up the phone every time I call him. Uh, he's multiple award-winning uh, writer, Jay Privman. Uh, as a matter of fact, I was just up on the Breeders' Cup site, cruising around, watching some races, and um, <clears throat> was reminded that he won the 2015 Joe Hirsch Award. American Pharaoh goes out a winner in the Breeders' Cup Classic. Of course, I just watched him on television for two days. Jay how can you do two days on air and then sit down at a computer and write an award-winning story? <laughs> well, thanks for, uh, for all that, John. Well, last year, uh, that was a pretty easy one to write because uh, with American Pharaoh, a triple crown, you know, the first triple crown winner in 37 years going out with uh, a victory in the Breeders' Cup Classic, it just was, it was a pretty... I thought easy story to write and you get excited to write stories like that. Even if it's the end of a long week and a long couple of days of work, you get energized to, to write about something like that. The same thing happened this year. It was obviously a couple of long days of racing, but the racing was great and the classic was a terrific race. So you get inspired to recap those kinds of races and tell those stories, even if you are sort of on fumes by then. (laughs) I could probably have you on an hour to talk about the races. I'm just going to try to touch on a couple and then key in on some of the major ones. Um, Right out of the gate on on Friday, um, I really thought it was a touching moment uh, when you saw the Ortiz brothers uh, in the juvenile Philly uh, turf race there um winning on oscar performance and having, having his brother come up and hug him that was a great moment it made for good television too very much so and donna brothers did a great interview uh with jose ortiz right after the race it's one of the great things about having donna in the position that she's in because she's a terrific reporter and she's she knows the, the jockeys being a former rider herself and and she obviously having been a former rider is very adept on horseback and she just brings a, a real unique perspective to the broadcast and i think we're really lucky to, to have her in that position and, and uh, that made for great just a great moment with the way she she handled that whole situation with Jose Ortiz. Well, following that was one of my uh, personal betting disappointments of the day, and that was uh, Dortmund disappointed. And I'll be uh, honest with you, I, I predicted that uh, Run Happy was going to finish unhappy. I I, I questioned the way that horse has been managed uh, this year, um, particularly in the fact that you got the fastest horse in America and you and you, you decide to go a mile, but I guess that's to get ready for the Pegasus. I guess. I mean, he just doesn't seem like he's the same horse. I don't know that it would have mattered what race he was in. He, ran, he didn't run that great a race in his comeback at Churchill, and he ran poorly again uh, in the dirt mile. And I don't think your perspective was unique. He, he was seven to one. There were obvious. There was obviously a lot of skepticism over his uh, his chances in that race. Uh, but as you mentioned, Dortmund was the heavy favorite, and it looked like the three races he ran previously this year against California Chrome kind of took their toll on him because he just had nothing left for the 
stretch drive, and Tam Marcuse was the beneficiary of it and, and, uh, and won the race. Yeah, I just thought Baffert had him had him in a perfect spot. I mean, you look, you just look down his running line. Let's see who's who's he get beat by? California Chrome, California Chrome, California Chrome. You know, I mean, American Pharaoh. You know, you just thought, oh, well, this is the right distance. He's uh, it looks like he was sitting on go with his morning works, but it was not to be for Dortmund or for my ticket. Well, let's fast forward to a race that I predicted and probably you did too that this was going to be a race for the ages and that was the Longines Breeders' Cup Distaff. I mean uh, as, as a writer you had to absolutely love uh, the outcome of this world. Well I'm not saying the outcome but the way it all played out and, and the, the class on both sides of the winner and the runner-up that showed after the race. Well, there was great anticipation just going into the race that you had not only Beholder and Stellar and uh, and Songbird, but also Stellar wins. So you had, for the first time ever in a Breeders' Cup race, three reigning Eclipse Award winners. So there was great anticipation, and then obviously the stretch run of that race was as good as it gets with Beholder and Stellar win. Or I keep saying Stellar win, Beholder and Songbird uh, running head and head the whole way through the stretch, and Beholder winning by the slimmest of margins, so it was just a great race and obviously great theater for Beholder to end her Hall of Fame career with a victory in that race. It'll she'll be an Eclipse Award winner for the fourth time in her five years on the racetrack, and Songbird ran a terrific race, and she's an inch away from still being undefeated. It was really a but a, a, a terrific race. Yeah, it really was, and you know. Two classy guys that are still in the saddle um, really expressed themselves beautifully uh, on the television show. Uh, Gary Stevens actually was driven to tears saying that Beholder was the greatest horse he ever rode, and he's been on some good ones. No, he's ridden a lot of terrific horses. He's had the longest, I think, relationship with riding a horse with her because she's just been around for so many years now, and he took over as her rider like in her, during her four-year-old year, so he's been on her for most of the last two-plus campaigns, two and a half years or so. Um, and obviously they've had a lot of high moments together, including the, the win in the Pacific Classic a year ago during the summer at Del Mar when she beat Males. So, uh, and, and Gary's obviously in the twilight of his career. I don't think it's, uh, I don't think I'm reaching what I'm saying. He's probably never going to ride another horse like that again. Uh, in his lifetime, so I think there was a lot of great meaning to that. And plus, it was everybody knew it was going to be her final race. So for her to win that race, and with Gary at the point he is in his career, and her being as good as she's been to him over the years, I think you saw the natural reaction of of what she's meant to him. And on a similar note, I saw the class action as I spoke with Alicia about Mike Smith and how he took it the defeat in stride and just emphasize that, Hey, she's three. He wasn't complaining. She, he, she, I got, I got beat by a multiple champion, but uh, she's going to get bigger and better and faster. And I just think it's great that Rick Porter is going to keep her in training. We're going to get to see songbird for another year. Exactly. Uh, and I think one of the reasons that made it not as bitter for, for Mike is that songbird ran a race. She just got beat. I don't think there's anything Mike could have done during the running of the race to have changed the outcome. Uh, and plus, he got beat by his best friend at the racetrack. So uh, I think that took a little bit of the sting out of it. Obviously, he wanted to win, but I think there's a little bit of satisfaction in a loss like that when you know you, you rode the race as well as you could and you know that 
the horse that you were on ran as good as she could run, and sometimes you just get beat. It happens. Yeah, he he like I like I see, he said I've been on both ends of the nod. <laughs> I didn't get it today. So right. uh it, it was just it, the presentation was just so classy. It spoke so well for 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 people in in racing. I I thought. Well, uh Jay also I'm going to speak well about all of your presentations and the way you handled yourself. Uh, I've in a few occasions, not on your platform, but done live television. It's not easy. Uh, just memorizing the names of all the winners <laughs> and everything. You did a really smooth job. Let's uh, move into uh, Saturday and an- another, shall we say, uh, great horse uh, who was defeated, but really no shine came off her apple. And that was Lady Eli and her great comeback story, only being uh, defeated uh, by the slimmest of margins by the only European winner in the uh, Breeders' Cup Philly and Mare turf. I mean, I, I've, I've got to give it to Chad Brown and his connections. They did a great job with, with this Philly. No, it, it, it's a remarkable story for her to come back and, and, and run a race like that. And uh, she ran a winning race. It was it was a terrific performance. Most years that would have won. She just got nosed out, unfortunately, by Queen's Trust. And it was a it was a tough loss for Chad Brown because, as well as she ran, obviously that's one of the reasons she was she's back in training is to try and have the, the storybook comeback like that and 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 to win that race. And he sort of mumbled under his breath as he was walking on the racetrack to to see Javier Castellano. He said, "That's a tough one." Uh, but he was gracious enough. Uh, we, I thought we handled that well on our coverage. Nick Luck was able to get with Michael Stout, and I was able to get with Chad Brown. And you got the we had I thought good post race coverage there of the the agony and the uh, and the ecstasy of winning uh, or being involved in, on both ends of a tough uh, photo like that. So uh, it was. She ran a great race. I mean, she really she ran a, just about as good as you could. Unfortunately for her. Queen's Trust was just uh, a fraction better. Absolutely. Uh, another one of the great storylines that happened during the day. Of course, uh, uh, the race that's not the most prestigious, but uh, the, the Breeders' Cup Turf Sprint uh, obviously finally got his due as an eight-year-old gelding. Wasn't this his third or fourth appearance in a Breeders' Cup race? Actually, his fifth. Uh, and wow. So, And that's ties the record. There are several other horses, including a horse you'd be very familiar with, Perfect Drift, uh, who ran in the Breeders' Cup five times. Uh, but it was great for him to win uh, in his fifth try at age eight and to just hold off home. Uh, another one of the really exciting races that we saw over the two days at Santa Anita. Absolutely. Well, um, let's let's uh, move on uh, to uh, a race that... Uh, Reminded me of the QE2 when Teppen was defeated by Photocall, who I thought got loose on the lead. Certainly Highland Real came into this race with excellent credentials, but I just thought that he ended up stealing that race away from Flincher. Yeah, he did. I mean, Jamie Hefferton rode a, a great race, and I guess, yeah, maybe it was analogous to what happened in the First Lady at Keeneland with, with Photocall and and tapping, but I think one of the overlooked aspects of the Breeders' Cup turf was the first half mile of the race. It, it's run downhill, 
or the first quarter mile of the race at the least, uh, uh, for three eighths before they get to the, to the main course. And they went the first half mile in 48. So, which is really slow when you're running downhill. Uh, and I think that was, especially over a course that was as firm as it was. And I think that emboldened Heffernan to make that dash down the back stretch and just try and stretch the field and, and hang on. And it was a, it was a smart move and obviously he had the horse to do it and it gave Europe, uh, uh, another winner. They had a, they had a good day on Saturday with, uh, with him winning and also Queen's Trust in the Philly and Mare Turf. Well, uh, Jay, uh, let's move on, uh, to, uh, the, the, the biggin and uh, that, of course, the, the classic now, Am I correct in assuming you have seen every Breeders' Cup Classic? I've seen every Breeders' Cup, so yes. <laughs> I've, I've <laughs> well, I'm just checking one. because I know when I read the, the liner notes on your book, I just thought, well, maybe he got the flu one year and for some reason didn't make it. So you've seen every one, and of course, uh, uh, you, you got to see this year's uh, race. Uh, it looks like we've got the you know the, this new superstar on the block and in Arrowgate, and of course. You read the comment lines on the internet and everywhere else, and I'm watching the race and talking to my friends going, you know, most jockeys kind of peek under their arm to see where the horses are. It looked to me like uh, Victor Espinosa was spending a whole lot of time wondering where everybody was. Yeah, I mean, we can we can go through a few things about it. I mean, first off, Arrogate is a terrific horse. We saw his performance in the Travers. Uh, as, as I'm sure as you followed with our coverage of daily racing forum, we had quite a bit on his workouts leading up to the race, uh, and the feature story on him. So it, he was a pretty known quantity to anybody who had watched him run and, and train. And one of the things about him is that the farther he goes, the, the, the stronger he gets compared to his opposition. And I'm a pretty big defender of Victor Espinosa. I think he's gotten a bad rap in, in a lot of situations over the years. But I thought this was a really poor ride on his part. Uh, and and not, I don't know that it would have made a difference. Maybe Arrogate would have run him down anyway. But I've always thought when you're going for $6 million, you need to be looking forward <laughs> and just trying to get to the line first. Because chances are you don't need to look back. They're there. The other horses are there. I think you can trust your instincts that they all haven't fallen down. And I don't understand what his what what he was trying to accomplish by doing that. It, it it's not good to keep a horse balanced when you're constantly turning back like that. Yes. And the other thing that I thought was tactically not smart and showed a lack of preparation and a respect for the rival that you were trying to beat is that if you're going to try and get into a quarter mile dash for home by saving your horse uh, to try and outrun Arrogate the final quarter mile, you've done it wrong. You need to stretch the field against Arrogate and open up on it. And I thought that was a, a really poor tactical decision made from the three-ace pole to the quarter pole. Um, the pace was not particularly fast. It wasn't slow, but it wasn't, it wasn't rocket ship fast either. He had the horse, and he tried by getting cute to just sort of save, save something. And then when Arrogate came up, it was, it, to me it was almost too late by then. But when you're letting a horse of that, who, who runs like he does and gets stronger as the race goes on compared to his rival, to try and get cute and get into a dash for home for him. So I thought it showed a real 
lack of understanding of what Arrogate's all about, a real lack of preparation for the race, and I thought it was it was really poor. All that said, maybe it wouldn't have mattered. Maybe Arrogate runs him down anyway, but I don't think it was a smart ride. Well, nobody's ever accused me of having a great mind, but in this situation, I think great minds think alike. I really thought it was, a, and again, Arrogate may have run him down, but I think it was a case of inertia. What What are you waiting for? Giddy up and go. If Arrogate's going to catch you for $6 million, catch me if you can, especially since he had him in such beautiful position as they rounded the turn and turned for home. Stop looking behind you and look forward to that finish line was my feeling. Yeah, and he was looking inside the outside, and, you know, Mike Smith was smart. He just came up right behind him, so he didn't know where he was. Because <laughs> uh, he saw what he was doing, and when the guy's doing that, and I mean, Mike Smith outrode him. There's just no question in my mind. And I just thought it was a really, like I said, I think Victor's gotten a bad rap in some situations, but I can't, you know, if I'm going to defend them when I think he's gotten a bad rap, I'm going to be honest with you and anybody else who asks me, about that race. I thought it was very poor in terms of preparation and tactics. It showed a, a complete lack of understanding of who Arrogate is uh, and what he can do. And you need to be prepared when you're going for $6 million uh, or even a 10 claimer when people are gambling their money. But that showed to me a lack of preparation and understanding of, of who he was up against. All right, well, we're talking with Jay Privman, and I want to rewind a little bit now while I've got, uh, oh, maybe uh, six minutes left. And, uh, of course, Jay, as I've told you many times, he's the the author of the Breeders' Cup Thoroughbred Racing Championship Day. Believe me, this book is still relevant today as it was 16 years ago, which is hard to believe that that's that long when it came out. Uh, of, Of great interest to me, Jay, was how John Gaines enlisted, you know, he didn't just say, hey, this is what we're going to do. He had to get key horsemen and the breeding farms. And as you researched, not everybody was on the same page. There were so many aspects to consider on so many levels of getting this Breeders' Cup thing started. Well, exactly, John. I mean, one of the things that people, we take it for granted now since the Breeders' Cup came into being in 1984, and we've had now all these uh, editions of it, now 33 of them. Um, But at the time... There wasn't a, a single championship day at the end of the year. Uh, there were big races in California. There were obviously some of the big races in New York, and a lot of people would ship in for that. But this was a way to try and have a single day. But it, it, it involves uh, basically trying to get racetracks to cooperate, which, as we know, is always a challenge. Uh, <laughs> and so Gaines took it upon himself to try and enlist breeders to really fund the event by nominating foals and, and stallions and creating the whole business model for it. And not everybody was, was for it, but he fortunately had guys like uh, John Nehrud who were very influential in, in trying to get it off the ground. And, you know, I don't think those of us who are in the game now can, can really conceive of what it was like before then because we kind of take it for granted now and we appreciate what we get. I mean, look at what we saw last Friday and Saturday at Santa Anita. That's as good as it gets. And, but it was, it was a very radical outside of the box kind of idea uh, in 1982 when he first thought of it. It took a couple of years to to get it onto the racetrack because obviously once you even propose something like that, just getting all your ducks in a row and and putting on the event is going to take 
some time. Uh, and one of the key things that helped was NBC got behind it from the start uh, and, and was willing to devote uh, all the time to that. But at the, at the time, having seven races worth a million dollars or more all on one day for different divisions was a real radical idea. Uh, but but uh, I'd, I'd say it's been a raging success. Well, in your book, you do a great job, Jay, of connecting the dots of how it all happened and how it came together. It's actually uh, a great piece of racing history. And again, I implore people to to, to seek out uh, your book, Breeders' Cup Thoroughbred Racing Championship Day. I mean, right from the forward, from Bill Shoemaker, uh, his recollections of the great Ferdinand Ali Sheba Classic, two Kentucky Derby winners, you know, hitting the wire together, uh, you know, Shoemaker or McCarran not knowing who won it. Um, but I'd like uh, the one thing that, that Shoemaker said in there that we have now seen historically is that there are horses now that have won Breeders' Cups that have gone to influence future Breeders' Cups uh, by being outstanding sires. Oh, and, and, and broodmares as well that have had their offspring win. Uh, you know, Personal Ensign and My Flag and Storm Flag Flying, for instance. So it's there's just been a lot of great history through the years now. When you've got this many years of an event, there's, there's, you know, to see is now, for instance, and then his daughter folklore wins the Breeders' Cup. I mean, there's so many examples. I can't think of them all, but there's just been a number of things like that over over the years now uh, with offspring that have uh, of Breeders' Cup winners that have gone on to win Breeders' Cup races as well. Now, my question is, how do we get uh, Moonlight Press or somebody else? to do volume two of Breeders' Cup <laughs> Thoroughbred Races Championship Day. Because I, I got to tell people, not only from your personal in, insights as someone that's been there, uh, the, the photography and the, the beauty of the book, uh, I, I'm getting to the point where I have to have my son help me carry it up the steps. It's so big. Um, <laughs> is, is there any shot that we could, that we could do a follow-up? I'm sure there's a shot. I'd have to talk to... Uh, the Moonlight Press and the Breeders' Cup, and and, and see, and but maybe uh, you know maybe when we get close to the 40-year anniversary or something, it'd be about uh, be about the right time to to do it. But uh, I was proud of what we did back then, and you're right, it's it's hard to believe there've been more Breeders' Cups run since that book came out than we chronicled going into that book. That's that's how much history there is that's gone by since then. But it was it was fun to do at the time, and uh, I'm glad it still resonates with. with uh, with with readers uh, like you, well, it, it does. It's one of my favorites. My hands on it right now, and you know, as a photographer, I enjoy that part of it. Of course, as a guy that doesn't read a whole lot of books, I love books that have a lot of photos in them too. So, <laughs> another reason I love it. But uh, Jay, uh, there, uh, my producer telling me I got two minutes. Real quick, I, this is probably an impossible question to answer, but what's your favorite Breeders' Cup race? I would have to say it would be Zenyatta's win in the Classic at Santa Anita when she beat the boys, um, because it was she was still undefeated. Obviously, when she won that race, she was taking on male, and the whole setting that day in front of her home crowd and just how nuts the place went when she won. And I was lucky enough; I was standing about ten yards from John Sheriff, who liked to watch the race down by the rail between the 16th pole and the wire, and I was assigned for TV to kind of shadow him and, and to interview him after the race was over, win or lose. 
Um, so to see her make that run and the reaction from the crowd and then to interview John, that's probably the most memorable race for me. But I would say personal ensigns, distaff, and the distaff just this past Friday with uh, Beholder and Songbird would, would probably round out the trifecta for me. I know, very tough question. Thanks for even trying to answer it. Uh, with all of your experience witnessing every single Breeders' Cup, Jay Privman, all I can tell you is you're as smooth as a sip of Maker's Mark when you're on television, <laughs> and you are an outstanding writer. Uh, just uh, whatever you do, just uh, stay alive, keep breathing, because I love <laughs> reading your stuff and seeing your performances. Well, John, I always enjoy being on your show, and I appreciate you having me on. All right. We've been talking with multi-award winning writer uh, Jay Privman. I also want to thank uh, Alicia Wentz-Hughes for being with us for the first time out of the gate. I want to thank you for joining us for Winning Ponies. Remember, a lot of venues are going to change over the holidays, so make sure you go to winningponies.com and see who's racing where and pull down those easy win forms. want to wish you all best of luck. Remember, when you go to the races, bet with your head, not over it. Thanks for listening to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. We know the information from today's show will help you at the next post. Keep listening for more next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network.